Well, the title of the sermon is Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. This is not a 4th of July sermon, but that's what we think of. We think about our country when we hear those words, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Indeed, it was Thomas Jefferson who said in the Declaration of, Pentan- uh, of <laughs> Repentance, that's what we need now, a Declaration of Repentance in our nation, but in the Declaration of Independence, he said these famous words, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are what? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of of happiness. Now, I got to thinking about that quote, and on, uh, really and truly, only three, uh, these three can be found in Christ. Only in Christ can we find these in their fullest expression. For instance, life. Jesus said, The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come they might have life, that is salvation, and then have it more abundantly. That's, that's happiness. Then liberty. Jesus said, If therefore the Son shall make you free, you will be free indeed. So only people who are saved and learn how to walk in the Lord can understand what true life is, what true liberty is. But then, what about the pursuit of happiness, the pursuit of happiness. Well, if you have your bulletin there, please open it up. And uh, I've put our base text here, the pursuit of happiness, where I'm going to spend my time this morning, uh, right there in Psalm 1. Believe it or not, this is the first sermon I ever, well, excuse me, the first sermon I ever preached was out of Psalm 1. Okay, this is definitely an upgrade since then. But uh, I preached that when I was 19 years old. Psalm 1. Look what it says here. How blessed, that means, oh, the fullness of blessings, of joy, of happiness, is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now the Bible among many things, uh, is the instruction manual for life. And uh, I don't know what it is, but it it is just difficult for me. Some of you guys can read the instructions on something, and I'm just sitting there just lost. I literally about have a panic attack when I look at any instructions. I mean, even when I went to Home Depot with Jay when he was a little boy, we'd go to Home Depot, and it had these little simple instructions, and I'd be like... "Ah." Uh, like that, and, and, and Jay would figure it out. He's like four, you know, and he's like, never mind, Daddy. Step one, step two, he'd go through it and do it, okay? I have trouble reading directions. I think sometimes those people that write directions, they get their engineers to write these things out who have these multiple degrees and PhDs in engineering, and they write them for that level of people. 
Let me write the instructions. If I could figure it out, here's what I'd say. Take that little round thingy, turn it to the left. Remember lefty, loosey, righty, tidy. That's what I'd say. <laughs> and then uh, if, you don't ha if you have a lot of bolts and uh, nuts left over, don't worry about it. That's what I would put P.S. on there. So anyway, but God has given us an instruction manual right here, and it's really not complicated. It's really not complicated. There are some things in Scripture a little bit hard to understand, but for the most of it, it's very simple what God says. And I remember someone saying this, if you'll just obey the simple things God says, God will give you further light on stuff you don't understand. But we don't obey the, sim the simple stuff. God knows us better than anyone there is. He created us. He knows what will give us happiness. And we are fools to think that we can find happiness apart from God in the instructions in this book. We are fools to think we can just set aside His manual for our life and think somehow, some way, we can just pay tribute to God and still live lives our, our own way. We will not find it. There was a group, uh, or they're still around, called YouTube, And they sang a song called, Well, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And if you don't find it here, you won't find what you're looking for. This is it. This is it. On the other hand, God says that we do not have to live that kind of life. We can follow the principles of His Word and experience what Abraham uh, did when he died. Look at Genesis chapter 25, verse 8. Genesis 25, verse 8. That should be on your outline. And Abraham breathed his last and died in a ripe old age, an old man and satisfied with life. And he was gathered to his people. Wouldn't you like to die that way? An old man, satisfied with life, and he went up to heaven. You know, Abraham, if you think about his life, he had ups and downs. He had a share of sins and disappointments. He did some stupid things like, like we all did. But when he looked back over his life, he said, I am happy about my life. I'm satisfied about my life because my life has not been in, in things that I've done. It's been in what God has done in my life. Now, in this passage, God gives us the pathway to happiness. And so we're going to look at that. First of all, as we look at the pathway to, ha to happiness, what does it tell us to do if we're going to do this? Now, this is so key. I'm going to spend a lot of time on this one. If we're going to have the kind of happiness or blessedness God wants us to have, we've got to, first of all, separate yourself from the world. Separate yourself from the world. Now, that does not, that means the world system the world's way of thinking, uh, the way of thinking that is anti-God or do-it-yourself kind of thinking. All right? So we've got to separate ourselves from that kind of thinking. Now go back on, on, in the red part there. Look at verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not circle the word walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand, circle the word stand, in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Circle the word sit. All right? Now notice that there's a pattern. Walk, stand, sit. You see that? It's so clear. Walk, stand, 
sit. Now, when he talks about walking in the counsel of the wicked, what does this mean? It means that not to follow the advice of unsaved people who don't believe God's word or who will lead us away from God. I remember when I rededicated my life, you know, I had a, a lot of things going on. I tried to take my own life, and obviously, I mean, that's what eventually led me to come back to the Lord. And I remember going to a uh, Christian counselor after that, and I needed it. I'm glad to do that. I think everybody ought to go. We've all got to pick up a, a hurt or a hang-up. <laughs> so sometimes we need somebody else's advice on how to get over something we can't get over. And uh, I remember one time my dad uh, said to me, I, maybe I'd gone without a counselor for a while, and he, he said, you need to go to my counselor, okay? I went to this counselor, and supposedly he was some kind of religious man, okay? I got in there, and the first thing he said, he starts asking me questions, and he goes, oh, you're one of those who takes the Bible literally. He said, last person I know that took the Bible literally cut their hand off. I'm like, what? And he was talking about how Jesus said, if you're... Your hand calls you to sin, cut your hand off or something like that. I'm like, that's not what it means. It just means deal radically with your sin. But there's an example of how you need to be careful if you're listening to the advice of men who don't know God. Uh, and, and also, it says you don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. That means you're not letting your mind be influenced by wicked people. Can I say something? There's a lot of wicked people in Hollywood. There's a lot of wicked people on TV. And the Bible says you've got to be very careful about uh, what you put in your mind and what you allow yourself to put in your mind. There are places that we should not go. There are books and magazines we should not read. There are TV shows and movies we should not watch. And listen to this. There are songs we should not listen to because the Bible said don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. It doesn't have to be some psychiatrist while you lay on, on, a, on a couch with him in a legal pad and a piece of paper for you to walk in the counsel of the wicked. There are voices coming at us all the time and God said if you want to live... Go on the pathway to happiness. You've got to get off that path. Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Look at some verses on this. Romans chapter 12 verse 9. Abhor what is evil. That means run from it. Cling to what is good. 3 John 11. Beloved, do not imitate what is evil but what is good. Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. I remember uh, Dawson McAllister uh, was a great youth speaker, and I remember him saying something like this. If you are on a date and you get in the back seat, the battle is already lost. You're making provision for your flesh. And so sometimes the reason that we have so much trouble and lack of victory in our life is because we're putting ourselves in a position to where we fail. That's what it means, don't give off. Uh, don't um, put yourself in, uh, make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Now listen to this in, in, in uh, um, what John Phillips said. 
A man who would be a happy, happy man begins by avoiding certain things in life, things which make it impossible for happiness to flourish because they are poisonous, destructive, and counterproductive. Movies can be poisonous, destructive, and counterproductive. Music can be poisonous, destructive, and counterproductive. Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Listen to this one. Sometimes, however, unsaved people do give good advice, such as a guidance counselor giving advice on job opportunities and recommending colleges. But the Christian must be careful that his or her advice does not go against what God's Word says. And, and so later on, I'm going to talk about how you can discern when somebody's giving you good advice or not, not good advice. All right. Now notice next it says, remember he said, don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. And, and the wicked does not mean devil worshipers. It means anybody without God. Then stand in the path of sinners. So now you're not just walking by listening to these voices. You're actually stopping to truly hang out a little bit. It conveys the idea of a Christian who waits for unsaved people, desires to have only their friendship, the relationship be go, goes beyond a friendship to buying into their sinful lifestyles. Andy Stanley told the story one time of how um, he, and he was using this idea of peer pressure and, and how he was driving down the road and it had ruts on either side and there was just something about this road that was so bad no matter how hard he tried... He got, kept pulling into the ruts. No matter how hard he tried, he couldn't do it. And that's what you'll do if you hang around people who don't know God in a real close kind of friendship and make them your primary friends, they will keep pulling you into a rut. Listen to what the Bible says. Now, I didn't say it. Listen to what God says. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Bad companions ruin good character. Proverbs 13, 20. He, ooh, I love this one. He who walks with wise men grows wise, but the companion of fools suffers harm. And that's not intellectual fools. Those are spiritual fools who don't have anything to do about God in their life. Then it says this, we, we talked about walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the path of sinners, hanging out with them, and now seated in the, sit in the seat of scoffers. The, that is, those who mock God. It means that you are spending most of your time with those who make fun of God, Christian values, and you begin to join with them in making fun of the church. You joke about the things of God. Look what it says here in 2 Corinthians 6, 14 through 17. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harm, harmony uh, has Christ with Belial, demonic things? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? 
Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, because of that, you're a temple of God. I'm in you. Come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. Here's Amos 3.3. 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Now that is a clear indication you should never marry, you should never date anybody who's lost or marry somebody who's lost. Now I know that sometimes God can turn that around and sometimes men, you, uh, a lady marries a lady, a uh, lady marries a lady, they do that today, don't they? Um, a, Mary, a lady marries a man and he's lost and maybe they weren't, this lady wasn't spiritually mature at the time and then later on the man that gives, uh, ends up getting saved. But can I tell you something, that is very rare I've been in ministry since I was 19. I'm 56. What is that? 37 years? <gasps> a long time. I have seen on my hand maybe two or three men in all that time who were lost husbands who came to know the Lord. And I know a lot of times those things happen before we're spiritually mature, and I'm not, uh, don't want to dog anybody here, but I'm just telling you that's why the Bible says, how can two walk together unless they be agreed? And there's always that sense where you're walking on two different levels. You're living in two different worlds, two different spheres of living when you do that. Now, I, when, when I preach this, God gave me this, as I said, from my first sermon. Because this was the verse God used to turn my life around. God couldn't have shouted in my ears more than when I was in that mental hospital at the end of my rope at 19, so far away from God. My preacher came to visit me because I asked him to come. I was desperate. <laughs> Send a preacher. <laughs> he came to visit me, and I'm telling you, here's what he said. Jeff, you look like death. That's how desperate and awful I looked in that hospital. And when I was in that hospital, I cried out to God and I said, God, I need help. I need help. And God gave me this verse. I opened up my Bible and there it was. And what God said, Jeff, this is what you've been doing. You have been walking in the counsel of the wicked. You've been filling your mind with things you don't need to fill your mind with. The music you listen to, the magazines you look, you look at. Just pumping yourself full of all these lies that are not of God. And then, what's interesting, I can trace that back. That was, I got saved when I was in fourth grade, but I started listening to stuff I shouldn't have listened to in the fifth through seventh grade. Then in the eighth through the ninth grade, I began to stand in the path of sinners. We had a place in our school called Smokers. Anybody ever have one of those things at school where all this, you could, back then there was a place that was designated for smokers to go to. We were all breaking the law, but the school let us break the law down there, you know. And so I started going down there because those are the people I identified most with. Because they listened to the kind of music that I like to listen to. So I went down there and I would smoke cigarettes with them. And my parents found out and boy, they were, up, they were upset. By then I was already addicted. And... Uh, I said, listen, I'm not going to do drugs or anything like that. I'm just going to go down there and smoke. That's all I'm going to do. But you know what? That lasted for maybe about a year. 
And then I went from smoking to token, you know, <laughs> because the Bible says, don't stand and hang out with the path of sinners. And then through my 10th grade, through my first year of college, not only did I stand the path of sinners, but I began to sit down, sit down with those who mocked God. And God said, don't do that. Don't do that. Look, look at what this verse says. When you hang out in the wrong places with the wrong people, you will soon, soon do the wrong things. Now, I, I'm telling you, that principle is out of the Bible. It's not my advice. That principle is out of the Bible. All right, here's the next thing, okay? It's going to go a little bit quicker, but I needed to dwell on that one, okay? So what do you do? What did I do when I made a decision, I'm not going to go that way anymore. I repented. I separated myself from the trash I was listening to. I separated, listen to this, I had to separate myself, you ready for this? From all my friends. Because they were all people who had no use for God. That was tough. I had to drop every friend I had. But you know what? God's faithful because he replaced it with a lot of good godly Christian friends who were a good influence on me. But I had to make that break. All right? And this doesn't mean that you should never have a lost person as your friend. I, you know, some people will ask me, well, golly, does that mean you can't have a lost person as a friend? If you're spiritually mature and you're growing in the Lord and your desire is to be an example to them of Christ... I don't think that that's necessarily what the Bible's talking about here. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Jesus, um, but again, Jesus is Jesus. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, I think we ought to be friends with lost people. I have made friends with lost people so I could win them to the Lord, but I'm more spiritually mature than I was at 19, and I could stand, uh, you know, in, in the sense of godliness and try to be an influence upon them. You really have to look at which direction are they pulling you. Are they pulling you into a ditch? If they're pulling you into a ditch all the time and you can't live for God, you need to separate yourselves from them. He who walks with the wise will be wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. All right. Y'all think God wanted me to deal on that? <laughs> all right, here's the next thing. We're going to go faster. So what did I do after I separated myself from the Word? There was a vacuum. I had to learn because God told me in this passage what to do. Now start saturating yourself with the Word. Saturate yourself with the Word. Don't you think last night that the ground was saturated with water? God said, saturate yourself with the Word. Now look what He says. Let me go to... Uh, let me pull up my, my passage here. I kind of got it out of hand here. Let me pull up my passage because I want you to look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. He says, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, verse 2. But here's what you got to do instead of that. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates... Day and night. So God says, 
once you separate yourself from the world, now you got to do something else. you got to saturate yourself with God's Word. That's where you find happiness. Now, it says uh, um, there, he says, uh, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And that's not speeding tickets and all that kind of thing. He's talking about the, the Bible. He meditates. The word meditates there is used of a lion that is devouring its prey. So God said, listen to this, we're to devour the Word of God. Isn't that amazing? Read it slowly, hunger and obey the Word of God every day. And then he says, day and night do it. We shouldn't just have a quiet time in the morning. We ought to be thinking about God's Word throughout the day. I forgot who I heard. Oh, it was Irvin Lutzer. I heard this this week. God always brings stuff in my mind the week that I need it. And he was talking about meditating upon God's Word, of all things. And here's what he says he does. He will have, a, in the morning when he has his time with the Lord, he's looking for something that maybe God wants to say to him. And so he reads a verse, maybe a verse that gives him insight on, hey, you need to start doing this or, or whatever, stop doing that. And what he does is, once he reads that, he goes back to that verse, he reads it again, and throughout the day... Like bubble gum, he chews on it. I thought that's a great insight. I never thought about that. So every day when you're reading your Bible, look for a piece, a piece of Holy Ghost bubble gum. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Put it in your mouth and chew on it all day long. Think about it. And God drives that verse into your life because you need it for that day. That's what meditation means. Look at James 1.25. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, that's the Bible, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. John 8, 31 through 32, Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you shall know, the word know there means know by experience because you've obeyed it. And you shall know by experience that you obeyed the truth, and that truth shall make you free. As, as uh, Johnny Hunt once said, he said, it's not the truth that you know that changes you, it's the truth that you obey that changes you. All right? Now, here's some results. I'm going to go through these real quick. If you start living life this way, here's what's going to start happening. The results. Peace. Like a tree firmly planted. You got stability. When things come up and the winds of life blow at you, they don't blow you down. You got peace. The next thing, provision. By streams of living water. Constant sustenance there. Production. It yields its fruit in its season. We spent a whole few weeks, did we not, about bearing fruit and uh, that's, that's what happens if you live this way. You'll bear that spiritual fruit. Perseverance. His leaf does not wither. I, I tell you, if anybody in Christian ministry starts saying, well, I'm just burnt out. Man, I can't do that anymore. I'm just, I'm just burnt out. Why? Have you got your feet in the brook? Have you got your roots in the brook? Because God said, those that wait upon the Lord, I will give them new strength. 
If your leaf is withering, there's a problem not with God. There's a problem with you. That's not to say that you can't switch ministries or God may call you to do something different within the church. But if it's like, I'm just tired, I'm just worn out, I'm tired, I'm worn out, you may not have your roots in the creek. All right? Here's the next thing. Prosperity. And whatever he does, he prospers. Um, Look at 2 Chronicles uh, 26, verse 5. And as long as Uzziah, that was the king, sought the Lord, God prospered him. Did you hear that? As long as this king sought the Lord, God prospered him. This past Wednesday night, I made reference reference to him. He was a king for 50-something years, and he had an incredible reign until pride began to develop in his heart, and he did not seek the Lord anymore, and he made a mess of his life and died because of it. Prosperity. All right. Now, number two, and this is going to go quick, okay? Remember, we went from that to this. That's what that passage does. Here's the pathway to hopelessness. The pathway to hopelessness. Look at verse 4 where it says, The wicked are not so. Uh, In the Hebrew, it's much stronger. It literally means... Not so, not so, the wicked. They can't find this pathway to happiness. Not so, not so, people without God can have no hope. No hope. First of all, they are without purpose. Look in verse 4 where it says, um, The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. I remember when I was in third grade, I got my first little Bible. You know how a lot of times they do that, you know, at church or something. I got my first little Bible. It was a a red Bible. It's good to have a red Bible, by the way, right? Read your Bible. But it was a red Bible, and it it had pictures in it. And in one of the pictures, it showed this person who had a winnowing fork, and he was taking the the, uh, weed and stuff, and he was throwing the weed up in the air. The wheat would fall back down, but the chaff from it would blow off. And that's what these people saw in their mind. That's what, God, that's what God talks about. He said, the weed I will gather into my barn, but the chaff will be burned. That's what life is without God. The wicked stumble over what they're walking on. The Bible teaches. That's not an exact quote. But the Bible says they don't know what they're doing. Their life is like chaff going away. You may think this world is so messed up. Don't worry. God's winnowing, got his winnowing fork. He'll straighten everybody out on what side they need to go in. But they are without purpose. Look at Mark 8, 36. For what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Then the next thing is they are without excuse. When they stand before God, it won't be... Uh, 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 uh. Hold on a minute, God. They'll have no excuse. Uh, look what it says um, in verse 5. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. That, that is, they can't stand and justify themselves. They're gonna, they're, God's going to show you, here's why you're going to hell, and they'll have no excuse. They won't stand in the judgment. They won't stand in the assembly 
of the righteous in order to go to heaven. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 3 verse 12. And his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will thoroughly clear his threshing floor and he will gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You know, there's some people who say this. Well, you know, they'll say, well, there really is no hell. You're just going to go out of existence. It's called annihilationalism is the big uh, term. I had a friend of mine who was like that. I had a guy at Bible college who was like that. That's what Seventh-day Adventists believe. They believe that if you're a lost person, you just cease to ex- exist. But Jesus said, I'm going to burn them up with unquenchable fire. Now here's the next thing is they're without hope. You know, you can go through a lot of things if you have hope. But the saddest thing about hell is not the fire. The saddest thing is you have no hope of getting out of there. Now look what the Bible says uh, here in Revelation 20 verses 11 through 15. And I saw a great white throne, the holiness of God. And the one sitting on it, the earth and sky fled from his presence. Could you imagine that? But they found no place to hide. I saw the dead, both great and small. That is the important and not important. The well-known, not important. The kings of the earth, the presidents of the earth, and those who nobody knew, but they're lost, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened. That's probably the Bible and a book of works because he's writing down every deed the Bible tells. Okay, He's writing down every deed of the lost person, including the book of life. That's, where, that's the heavenly church role. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. What does that mean? They're, these lost people are judged according to what they're done. I was talking to... Uh, Gail the other day, and I said, you know, God is a just, I'm so glad God is a just God because God will punish people in different degrees of hell. Don't you think Hitler deserves more hell than the average person does? Okay. Uh, Don't you think Stalin, Manson, all those kind of guys deserve a greater degree in hell? Don't you think abortionist doctors will get a greater degree in hell when Jesus said, you mess with one of these little ones, it'd be better you had a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. And I'm grateful that we serve a just God. Hey, I'm grateful there are some people who may kill somebody who had a mental illness and they were having a hallucination. And God is a just God because He knows all those factors. He knows all those, those factors. But still, if they don't know the Lord, they're without hope. Look what it said. The sea gave up its dead, and, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and they were all judged according to their deeds. That is talking about lost people and the severity of punishment in hell because of what they did. Then death and grave were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. That anyone's name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. But here's the good news. God gives you a way of escape. He does. He said it this way, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son 
that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And I like this one too. Because people make fun of this. I even heard preachers say, well, they've been saying that since 1950. God's going to come back. I've heard preachers say that. He isn't really being slow about his promise of return, even though it sometimes seemed that way. But he is waiting for the good reason that he is not willing that any should perish. And he is giving more time for sinners to repent. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Father, I want to thank you for this wonderful psalm that absolutely changed my life. I'm preaching this morning because of that word you gave me when I was 19, when you told me, Jeff, the reason you're here is because you've put my instructions aside. And here's what you've been doing. You've been walking in the counsel of the wicked. You've been standing in the path of sinners. And you've been seated with the seat of, in the seat of the scoffers. And what you need to do, Jeff, you need to separate yourself from that. And then you need to replace it by saturating yourself with the Word. And I did. And it worked. If ever I'm not happy, it's because I'm not separating myself and I'm not saturating myself. Now the kind of happiness that God gives, listen carefully, is not... <clears throat> That you're always having this human happiness like, oh, this is great. You know, I just had a death in my family. This is great. It's not that kind of happiness. It's a, it's a joy that no matter what's going on, you know the Lord is with you. And he can give you joy even when tears come out of your eyes. I know that for a fact. He can give you joy even when you're weeping out loud. Because he's with you. Now that pathway to happiness starts at the foot of the cross. Have you nailed at the foot of the cross and said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and save me? And then if you have done that, you know you're saved, are you allowing the world to constantly influence you? Are you allowing people in your life to pull you down? They're not being a help. They're being a hindrance. And God says, you need to separate yourself from those things or you will never find this, what I'm talking about this morning. And then, are you just giving yourself a little sprinkle of the Word of God every day or are you allowing it to pour down on you? The Bible says that we're to be filled with the Word of God. Filled with the Word of Christ. And some of you may need to make a dedication today. I want to do that. And I want to meditate. I want to get me some of that bubble gum each day from a passage and chew on it all day long. Now, Father, would you seal these words in our heart? For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right.